So let me go ahead and pray, guys. Uh, dear Lord God, we just thank you so much for this time that we can come together, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word, or that you would reveal to us things that you have told uh, to Jesus through his disciple John. Lord, we pray that as we uh, learn from the Church of Philadelphia, Lord, that we would just uh, retain the information that we learn from you and from your word. Lord, I pray that you would guide us and direct us in this time, Lord, that you would give us strength and wisdom and understanding as is needed. Lord, would your spirit lead and guide each and every one of us in everything that we do every day. And Lord, uh, we just uh, give you this time and give you ourselves so that you can be honored and glorified in it. So Lord, we praise you in your name. Amen. So, I know it's been a few days since I've been in here. Um, how many of you have forgotten what we're talking about? Hey! So yeah, we've been going through the book of Revelation, and today we are going to talk about the... Is it the... Uh, we are in the sixth. Sixth church. Yeah. No, third chapter. Yeah, third chapter. The fourth chapter kind of starts the vision of the actual tribulation period. So, uh, but today we're going to talk, talk about the Church of Philadelphia, which I learned today was named Philadelphia because of the person who founded it, his unusual love for his brother. I don't know what that means, if that means it was some weird relationship that he had with his brother, or if it was just he was that close. But just like as in Philadelphia that we have here in America today, is well, is named for brotherly love. So that's where the name is derived from. Um, apparently at one point it was destroyed, renamed something else after some Caesar, and then they renamed it back to Philadelphia. So when it was destroyed, it was due to an earthquake that happened in AD 17, something like that. So that's just a tiny bit of background. There's not a whole lot else known about the Church of Philadelphia um, other than it's just in a place called Philadelphia. You know, they, they, they know where it is today, but other than that, there's no real other talk about it in Scripture. Other than that, it was probably established by Paul while he was establishing churches near Ephesus. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading this, and then we'll talk a little bit about things. All right. Write to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close, because you have but little power. Yet... You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold to what you have, so that no one takes your crown. 
The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and I will never, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven from my God, or comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. Let anyone who has ears to listen hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus was really nice to them. This is the only other church that doesn't get any kind of rebuke. So the church in Smyrna didn't get a rebuke, right? It was Smyrna. Make sure I got that right. Yes, Smyrna. Yeah, the church in Smyrna doesn't, and Philadelphia, they're the only ones that don't get any kind of rebuke. So they are just straight up commended for their faith in the midst of persecution, in the midst of uh, being surrounded by pagan worship, by Caesar worship, and different strange things that they're surrounded by. They continue to stand in faith, which again is what most of Revelation is all about. It's all about enduring in our faith for Jesus. And then a lot of it is also about Jesus trying to get people to repent. Like when we start seeing all the wrath and stuff coming down, it's all designed to get people to repent. And this is something as believers we understand. We understand repentance. We understand that we need to turn from sin and that we need to let it go completely because we're dead to it. Jesus has forgiven us from sin. And he's nailed sin to the cross. But, as we've all talked about before, that we like to dwell in and live in and hold on to our sin. And that's what is killing us. It's what's dragging us down constantly, every day. You know, so, so it's something that we need to remember and stand against and fight against. Because sin is just... Well, it's not good, right? Other than it being fun in the moment, it's not good for your eternal life. It's not good for your soul. It's not good for the spirit that's been placed within you by God. It's just killing us. And like literally, death didn't enter the world until sin entered the world, right? So sin is literally what's killing us. It's the only reason we die. We were never meant to die. We were meant to live eternally with God on this planet. And ultimately, that's still the plan. And that's why he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for us. So that we can be washed by his blood, so that we can be sanctified in him and forgiven of our sins. And then, so in him, we can endure in our faith to him. Because people who don't endure, they don't get to have these promises. People who don't endure in faith and don't conquer over sin, they don't get the promises that Jesus says he is going to give. They don't get the rewards that Jesus says he is willing to give to us if we are faithful to him, if we continue to walk with him all through our life. Now, we understand that being faithful to him doesn't mean that we're going to not screw up, because we're going to mess up. We're still going to give ourselves over to sin. But we know there's a difference between us and the rest of the world who does not believe. We grieve over our sin. And if you don't, you need to look at your faith and wonder if it's true. But as believers, we're supposed to grieve heavily over our faith, over our sin. And so when we sin, 
We're supposed to literally just lay it in front of God and say, I can't believe I gave in to this. And this is like with any sin, but sometimes it's like, you know, sins that we would think in our human mind are bigger, even though all sin is the same to, to God. You know, outside of blaspheming the Spirit, which is like the only unforgivable sin. You know, and in case you don't understand what that is, blaspheming the Spirit means you are refusing to have the Spirit indwell you. So it means you're refusing to follow Jesus. That is the blaspheming of the Spirit. You know, because it's the example of what Satan did. He said, I want to be above God. He wanted to make himself God. So he got cast out. But because of Christ, now we can have a little bit of power in ourselves to withstand against sin. But in him, we have complete victory. We have complete overcoming and complete conquering over sin and death. Like while this body will deteriorate and die, the rest of us, the part that actually animates us, the soul will go to be with God. And then eventually they'll be reunited and transformed into a glorified body, which I'm sure most of us are just happily waiting for because we know that these bodies are falling apart and whatnot, right? How many of you got aches and pains? Exactly. The guys that didn't raise their hand, you're all liars. There is, and that's what I'm I'm kind of saying is that, you know, because being a slave to sin is just you're freely giving yourself over to sin, thinking that, you know, it's cool, it's okay, I'm fine. You know, but just kind of sinning, like messing up here and there, you know, not necessarily like, I am doing this because I want to do this. It's sometimes you literally just find yourself in the middle of sin and you're like, how did I get here? You know, take, take for example, guys who have struggled with pornography for most of their lives. You know, they finally, at one point, God grips them and says, hey, you need to get out of this sin and you need to let it go, and you need to lay it at my feet, because Jesus has already paid for that. Well, a lot of times, we'll do that, we'll be good for a while, and then something will happen, or we'll get too tired, or something like that, you know. And all of a sudden, you find yourself deep down the rabbit hole of porn going, how did I get here? And I know that because I've done that. Every day, that's a fight for me. And I think that's the truth for most men, you know. Like, pornography and lust, that is one of the biggest fight for men. Because we're built that way. We're built visually that way. You know, that's why sometimes I make the joke that that's why Adam allowed Eve to be deceived. Because he's just like, that's a hot naked woman and he's not paying attention to anything else. But he's sitting there while she's being deceived. So it plays into that men are also very passive. You know, we were supposed to lead, not let her get deceived. And what do we do? We even see this in our lives probably today. If you've ever been married or had a girlfriend and you're following Christ and you want to lead them spiritually, but you suck at it, <laughs> right? You suck at leading spiritually. Like you can do it with your, with your guy friends. You can do it with people you're not like closely related to because 
you don't feel this weird sense of fear and judgment that you might be getting from them. Even though they're not necessarily judging you, they actually want you to lead. They want you to guide them through the Word of God. They want you to live up to what God has designed you to be, which is a warrior fighting on their behalf. And this is something that we need to actually live into and lean into. And that's why Jesus here is commending them because they've been doing these things. They've been enduring in their faith. They have been standing against this this synagogue of Satan that's full of people who are saying they're Jews but are liars because they're actually going after pagan mythological demon gods. You know, and, and so and they're persecuting this church because they're like, hey, you need to believe like we do. And this church is going, uh uh-uh. We are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Messiah and Savior and God in the flesh. And we are going to serve Him because that is what we are called to do. Same as us. So we're supposed to be, as he says here, be the ones who conquer. So we're going to conquer. We need to conquer over sin. We need to conquer over death that is trying to grip us. I mean, because we've talked about before that death is still kind of scary even when you come to Jesus. Because in your soul, you know you're not supposed to die. You know this body was not meant to die. No, but also I think it's because we have that, that little bit of unknown of, well, what's the transfer rate? You know, am I still going to be in the body for a little bit while it slowly dies out completely? Or do I just straight up leave? You know, people who have like died on operating tables, what do they say? They say, I died. I could see everything going on as I was being lifted through the roof. You know, it's, you know, the hospitals will say that they don't believe that stuff, but you know what's really weird? Most hospitals in the roof of operating rooms have messages. So when the soul leaves, they can see the message. And then if they revive them, they come back and they'll be like, hey, that message in your guys' roof. <laughs> You know, it's like a way for them to kind of prove that, hey, the soul exists. You know, and we know that to be true because if there wasn't any soul, why would people actually die if we were created to be eternal? Right? If these bodies were created to never be corrupted and eternal, then there's really no reason for them to actually die other than sin. Because the body is corruptible, but the soul, while can be uncorruptible, is also somewhat corruptible, but it's meant to be perfect. Right? Our soul was always meant to be perfect and animate this shell that we have. You know, but where the, where the soul leads, the body goes. And so we see that the corruption doesn't just happen on the flesh level. The corruption happens on a soul level. Because deep down, we want to do what the rest of the world wants to do, and that's become self-focused. Right? We see that in so many different things today. You know, self-help books, some of the number one bestsellers. I mean, come on, you have a self-help book by a so-called Christian that says live your best life now, and we know that's a bunch of BS. Your, your best life now is not about now, it's about what's going to happen next. 
That's your best life. Your eternal life, which does begin when you come to Christ. But you have to endure in it while you're here. So once you're with Him, you're with Him. When, you're, when, your, when your body is in the earth and your soul is in heaven with Jesus, it's there until they're reunited and transformed. Woo, look who made it. You know, and so we want to live to honor Jesus in our faith and in everything that we do. You know, we want to follow after what the Church of Philadelphia does, and that's withstand in their faith, regardless of the tribulation and trial around them. And so Jesus tells them, hey, because you have kept my faith, I am going to keep you during the time of the tribulation. Now, this is widely understood to be the tribulation period, the seven years of utter wrath and destruction on the earth. Now, some people will teach that this is a pre-tribulation scripture. This is not true. Because the words used in the Greek here do not point to that. Like the two schools of thought are pre-tribulation rapture. You are taken before the seven years of wrath on the earth because we're not appointed to wrath, which is very true. However, Jesus himself says that after the tribulation of those days, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. So he returns after. So that's why you cannot, cannot derive from this that he is going to take you beforehand. Because that would mean there's actually a second and a third coming of Jesus. At the last trumpet. At the last trumpet. That tells me that it's in. That's the end. That is the end. And so some, the word here for kept and keep is actually tereo. And this word literally means preserve or reserve. To watch over, attend to, guard, keep, or kept. So the word tereo, that they transliterate into the word kept or keep, or preserve, which is what he says, what he says earlier, well, in some other translations it says preserve, preserve, you know, their faith. Um, he's literally saying that, hey, I am going to keep you. I am going to protect you. I am going to preserve you through that time if you endure in faith. And so, so many people who are following the pre-tribulation teaching, I think are going to be part of those in, in uh, Matthew 24, 25 that are part of the falling away that get deceived by the man of lawlessness. So the man of lawlessness is the Antichrist, or the false prophet. You know, they could be deceived by either one. And I think they're going to be deceived by them because they're like, well, that's Jesus. Because that's what many people are going to believe, because, oh, Jesus is supposed to come before the tribulation, not after, because we're not appointed to wrath. So... They're going to get deceived, and then they could very easily fall away because they will follow a false teaching, a false doctrine. 
They will go after the thing that sounds good instead of the thing that is sound in doctrine. It's that song, I'll Fly Away, uh -huh. that, that doesn't hit because it, uh, in the Bible, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. That's okay. It, but it, it's scriptural that, uh, that he comes at the end. Yeah. I mean, so people want to argue with that because of the verse that says we're not appointed to wrath. Well, yes, we're not appointed to wrath if we're continuing in faith, right? But when we look back at, say, Israel in the land of Egypt when the plagues were coming down, well, who was protected during that time? They were protected that whole time. Did they have to put, like, blood on their... That wasn't until that wasn't until the Passover, because that's where Passover came from. It was the angel of death passed passed over them because the blood of the lamb was on the lintel of the doorposts. What I was going to say is the uh, the part in the Bible that really gets me is when he says you'll be persecuted too, and uh, if he went through it, we are in Christ. We're Mm -hmm. I, I believe that we will go through it too. Oh, absolutely. You know, but what Jesus is saying here is that, that he keeps us through it. That, so while we're not appointed to wrath, that means the wrath happening on the earth will be protected from. I mean, sure, it'll be all around us. I mean, could you just imagine you're a believer and you're following faithfully and faithfully Jesus and you have a friend who's like not... And is just living in sin, and then the next thing you know, a hundred-pound hellstone that's on fire lands on them. I mean, because that's some of the stuff that's going to happen. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that's going to happen, and some of the stuff that gets described, it's like, okay, is that metaphorical or is that really what's going to happen? You know, and I believe, I tend to believe that that's really what's going to happen in some some of the cases. Exactly. Exactly. They will continually curse him. And so that's why Jesus throughout Revelation is saying you need to enter in faith. You need to keep following me. Do not let these things scare you. Let them bolster your faith. I was going to say, I think that's how you build your faith is once you get persecuted, if you can stay on track. It, yeah, it's through trial. To get persecuted. I mean, I've dealt with it a lot. But you got to pull through that Yeah. and, and just... You, you'll grow, you'll get better. Right, but that, that's also a mark of a believer is that you're going to be persecuted. 5.11, uh, Matthew talks about we are blessed because we're persecuted. Exactly. You know, if we're being persecuted, it's because it means that we're actually serving Jesus the way that we were called to. You know, we were called to live in righteousness because He is righteous. And this is why we harp on so much and what Jesus is doing is you know, enduring your faith, enduring your faith, continue to follow me, don't ever leave me, don't walk away, you know, keep following me, because you can't lose your salvation, but you sure as can walk away from it. And Jesus doesn't want you to walk away from it. He wants you to continue to follow him. That's why he, when he talked to the disciples, it was always about enduring in their faith to him. It was always about continuing in their walk with him. He told them about hell more than he told them about heaven. 
Because he wanted them to know, hey, if you leave me, this is your end. I want to take part in the first resurrection. Not in the second. Because in the second, it's a resurrection to eternal damnation. I don't want to be there. That's for sure. And that's one of the things that I think we need to remember that if we start living in sin again, that that's where we're going to be. That that's our end. You know, we can say that we're a Christian, but if we live like the world and we live for our flesh, it ends up being pointless. We will be able to we will witness the white judgment throne, correct? We will be there. That's going to be a very sorrowful day. Jesus even has, because he wishes none to perish. Exactly. You know, and that's why the last time we talked about it, I said that when he tells the people on his left to enter in and go into the lake of fire, I believe it's going to be through tears. I believe it's going to be through tears because... He didn't want them to go that way. He gave them every opportunity to repent and turn to him. But they still chose not to. I'm like, how can you see these acts of God around you? How can you see the footprint and fingerprint of God on everything and deny him and live for yourself? It just doesn't make sense within my mind. You know, because everybody gets the choice to follow him. There is no, no, he chose this person and that person, that person's damn, that person's damn, that person's coming with me. That, that, that's not taught in the Bible. You know, the whole thing about predestination that gets taught by Paul is not that, that he predestined some people to hell and some people to him. It was that he predestined that all people should come to the knowledge of him so that they do not perish in their sin. But because of free will and because we're free moral agents, we get to make the choice, and he allows that choice. Just because he knows what choice we might make doesn't mean he's not going to let us make it. You know, so we get to make that choice, and we get to make the choice to either follow him or follow after ourselves and our own flesh. But we need to be like the people of the church of Philadelphia. You know, even though they may not have a whole lot of power within themselves, they are trusting in Jesus to such a great extent that they are standing firm in him. You know, that they are not letting the surrounding paganism to keep them from proclaiming his name. You know, like we've had a couple guys in here before, you know, admit that they will kind of dumb down their faith around certain people, around certain groups. And I think sometimes that's them realizing that I, I can't do that. Because I think we've all done that in some way or another. You know, we kind of dumb it down just so we don't have to suffer persecution. But really, we should be inviting the persecution. We should be saying, hey man, I'm a follower of Jesus. If you don't like that, I'm sorry. But I love you, and he loves you enough that he died for you so that you could be set free from sin. Just like I've been set free from sin. It no longer has to have a hold of me. Because when we're outside of Christ, right, sin is kind of wrapped around you. It's got a chain padlock right on you. But when you come to Jesus, that chain is broken. 
But so many of us, like I've said before, we want to hold on to that chain. No, this is a part of me because it's been a part of you for so long. And we have to let it go. We have to realize that Jesus has paid for this. Jesus gave me victory. And so I'm going to live in that. And I'm going to live boldly in faith, standing firm for him, no matter the persecution. So that I can receive the commends, the commend, the, the commendation that they've received. They did not deny him. And they won't deny him, even in the face of death even in the face of wrath coming down around them, because He is with them because they're enduring faithfully. And He says He's coming soon. And a lot of times people are like, well, that was like almost 2,000 years ago that that was said. You know? So people, just like the Bible predicted, are going to be saying, well, where is He? How come He hasn't come yet? I haven't seen Him. And sometimes I just want to look at people that do that and go, you probably don't want him to come back yet. Because then you can keep living the way that you're living. You can keep doing the stupid sinning that you're doing so that you can feel good right now. I, for one, still would rather be feeling good for eternity in the presence of God who fulfills fully and ultimately. Right? Jesus said that he came to give life and life to the fullest. We can only get that if we come to him. If we enter through the narrow gate, which is Jesus. Because isn't that what he says here? He holds the keys to the doors. That means he has the authority to let you into heaven or to not. And the only way he's going to let you in is if you are following him in faith. Trusting in Him for your salvation. Not believing in the, His works is calling Him a liar, period. Yeah. You know, so, for those of us who do conquer in His name, who conquer over sin, He says that He will make us a pillar in God's temple. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to literally become like a pillar and stand there. It means that we're going to be steadfast in God in front of Him, worshiping Him. And we will never tire of worshiping Him. Because this, this is God, the Creator of all things. The one who came down and saved us from sin. The one who indwelt us so that we could be sanctified and live righteously. We won't want to stop worshiping Him. I heard a testimony from a guy and he told me that when he, he like died and then his spirit went out of him and he went to heaven mm -hmm. and he said he actually saw God and everything and they asked him like, well, what was it like? He's like, think of the greatest thing you could ever do on this earth. Like the greatest thing that makes you the happiest. He's like, just being in his presence simply is that, but better. And he said, he said he eventually came back into his body and his dad was taking him to the hospital like during this whole thing when this was happening. And he, he was like evidence. His dad was evidence. Like, yeah, he was, wasn't there. His spirit left 
and then he came back and then he told him his story. I mean, that was his testimony. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of indicative of a lot of stories. That, that the a rupture, you ever heard his story? Mm -hmm. Went to heaven, the family, dad did garage doors and all that. He got back, he died on the operating table. They came back and through months he started uh, witnessing to his parents about heaven and everything. And it's just too many things for impossible for a little kid of his age to know about the things about in Revel, I mean, deep-seated things about God. No little kid could have that kind of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Period. Yeah. I mean, but that's that's kind of a lot of stories that are like that. People who have died and and went to go to heaven, you know, and have ultimately come back. They they all have kind of that same story. You know, it was just this peace and happiness. You know. To little youngsters that played with Ouija boards, Ooh. they tell you the other side. Yikes. They open the doors, and once you open the doors, prayer and fasting yeah. comes down to, to. Oh yeah. You know, it, it's it's again, it's that standing firm in faith, standing firm in Jesus. I mean, I'm going to harp on that probably till I take my last breath, because not only do do all of us need to hear it, it's uh, I need to constantly remind myself. You know, I think that's going to be the next tattoo: continue in faith. You know, you know, so I always see it, so I always know that I need to continue in my faith. I need to be enduring in faith, following Jesus. You know, knowing that even if I were to mess up, that I can still come to Him. You know, like, I messed up. Is smoking cigarettes a, a, a sin? It's never, never specifically straight up said that it's a sin, you know. But at the same time, some people like to say that it is because this is the temple of God and you're not really taking care of it, blah, blah, blah. But they say that with tattoos too. So. Indulging too much of anything is a sin. God right. teaches us about balance. Yeah, God. Do I have bad witness for I, I spoke bad witness I mean, for other people, people too. You know, I don't necessarily think that it's a sin. I don't, you know, but at the same time, it's not necessarily beneficial. Or a good witness. Yeah, but then again, if you go to like most Baptist churches, the pastor is out back smoking. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that that they that it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing. I'm saying it's like a a neutral thing. Like you have to decide for yourself: is that is it beneficial? Is it a good witness? You know. And I kind of want to like piggyback off of what he said. Like you can indulge, like you could be a glutton, just indulge in food, oh, like yeah. maybe cake or whatever it is that you like. Mm -hmm. And that that's a sin, right? Right. Take it too far, I guess. So yeah. I mean, I don't know. Because at that, because sometimes at that point, that becomes the thing that you're actually you're you're. You're going after, you're, you're holding to instead of God. You know, like, like, is the cigarette the next thing you're craving more than you're craving the Word of God? Is the cake, you know, yeah, you know, is, is, is something else taking the place of God for you? You know, if it is, check your heart. You know, repent of it and return to Jesus. Just like he told the church of Ephesus. You know when you brought up pornography, I heard a sermon once and the guy, he was uh, 
a minister said that's like you take you do it so long it's like a record that's worn a groove in it and the way our mind is built it's compartmentalized it literally wears a groove in it uh, see it makes the presentation then it gets illuminated and then boom the uh, uh, conception comes in the same way as in the bible and then boom you're right back at it right well because like like, temptation is not sin, but what you do with the temptation is. So, you know, the thing that we need to just take away from all of this is that we need to endure in Christ, no matter what. And that if you wander away from Him, He wants you to return. And like He told the church of Ephesus, remember where you have fallen and return to Me. Remember your first love. Your true first love is Jesus. You will never know love greater than that. All right? If you wandered away, come back. That's what he's saying. His arms are wide open. He is looking out for you just like the prodigal son. He'll see you far off and he'll take off running towards you. And he's waiting to embrace you. We're all in that same boat. We're all in the same place. We're all trying to follow Jesus. So let's do it. Let's follow Him. Let's lay our, lay our lives down for Him daily. Take up our cross and follow Him. Let's pray, guys. Dear Lord, we thank You so much Lord, for the time, the conversation, for Your Word, for what You've done here in this room. Lord, I pray right now for anybody who has wandered away from You, Lord, that they would right now just drop their heart off in front of you, drop their sin in front of you. Lord, you've nailed it to the cross, you've already forgiven it, and you've given them victory. Lord, would they come to you, or would they give you their heart, Lord, so that you can now come and indwell them by your Spirit and let the sanctifying work take place. Lord, for all of us who have already uh, chosen to follow you, who have already given our lives over to you, Lord, saying that we can't do it, we need you. Lord, I pray right now you would give us strength by your spirit to die to ourselves daily, to not give in to sin, to not turn ourselves over to the flesh, Lord, to not wander away from you, but to stand firm in you like those in the church of Philadelphia, Lord. Lord, we know that you are coming and you are coming hopefully very, very soon. And Lord, we are looking forward to that day. But Lord, until that day, help us to be bold in proclaiming the gospel for you so that more and more people will come to know you as Lord, God, and Savior over their lives. Lord, we just give you ourselves. Lord, we pray for the meal we're going to have just here shortly. Lord, would you use it to bless and, and nourish our bodies. Lord, we praise you. We love you. It's in your name, Lord, that we pray. Amen. Amen.